No. You're just not so famous. So let me just get there. But this, this show, it started in the 50s. It went for 20 years. Some people say it was one of the greatest TV series ever. And uh, it was about a little town set in the, um, in the Wild West, a little town called Dodge, the city of Dodge. It wasn't big. It wasn't actually a city. It was just a small community. And, uh, and the Wild West was living up to its name. There were some, there were some outlaws that had no, had no re, um, regard for the law that would come into town. And there was this, there was this um, kind of a sheriff of that town. His name was Matt. And he was in charge of standing up to these guys. And there was always a point, or often a point of confrontation, where they would confront, he would confront the villain, and he would say to them, get out of Dodge, right? There you go. Okay, Terry knew what I was talking about. Get out of Dodge. And there was this moment where he just kind of took his authority. He was there to protect that town. And, and so there's, there's this kind of theme of good versus evil and a confrontation where the bad guy just has to get out of town because there's someone that's confronted his actions, and there's someone who's standing in his authority. And as we look at this scripture today, so there, there were characters who would come into Dodge. They needed to get out of Dodge because they were a problem. In this story that we're going to look at, actually, Dodge itself was the problem. We're going to look at this little community called Bethsaida. And, and in this miracle, I don't know if it's ever recorded this way in another miracle, Jesus did something very unique. Scripture says that he took the man that needed healing and he led him out of Dodge, so to speak, because, because there was something about the spiritual climate of that place that was not healthy, and we're going to look into this a little bit, but, but what we see in Mark chapter 8 is a pattern of how God works in our lives. You've heard some testimonies of how God works. I want to just touch on three things out of this passage of Scripture, and, and they're simply this that God always begins by addressing our hearts. There's, he begins by, by his spirit, uncovering things in us that perhaps we're not even aware are there. And he begins to speak to us by his spirit. And then he brings us to a place of healing and wholeness in those areas. And then he tells us, now walk in your freedom. Now don't go back to those patterns. Walk in the freedom that I've brought into your life by my spirit. And that's a pattern of how God works. That's God's heart for you, is to walk into greater places of freedom and wholeness so that you will no longer be bound by places in your life where you just haven't been able to get free. And so this is how God works. His heart is to bring us to greater places of freedom. And so the first thing is this, he addresses our hearts. In recent years, if you follow the automotive industry at all, or if you have a newer vehicle, you would know that the automotive industry has put a lot of emphasis on eliminating blind spots. And so a blind spot when you're driving, you, this has happened to you before, it's happened to me, you're driving along and you go to change lanes and all of a sudden there's a car there and you think, where did that car come from? I did not see that car. Well, it's because there are blind spots and so it simply means there's something there but you can't see it. You're not aware of it. It's in the peripheral of your vision, or it's hidden behind some part of your car. And so we just refer to that as blind spots. So the automotive industry has recognized that because of blind spots, there are accidents. And because of accidents, people get hurt and sometimes killed. And so there's been, there's been this move in the automotive industry to say, we need to eliminate blind spots so that people stop getting hurt as a result of those blind spots. 
There's something about the Spirit of God, and this is what the Spirit of God is working to do in your life and in mine. The Spirit of God is working to address blind spots in you and I so that we can begin to be free in those areas, so that we begin to walk in a place where we're not experiencing the pain and the destructive patterns that come from areas of our lives that we may even be blind to. I am so thankful that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives in that way. He wants you to experience freedom, and He wants you to experience wholeness. And so in a spiritual sense, the Holy Spirit works to eliminate blind spots in our lives. He works to begin to refine our character, to to begin to set us free from different uh, things in our lives so that we walk in freedom. We know that in our sinfulness, uh, you know, human nature is such that we have these things called blind spots. There are unhealthy or sinful uh, patterns and habits, and sometimes we don't even see them. We're not aware of our true condition at times. And so in addressing those blind spots, God always begins with our hearts. He goes to the core of our being, and he begins to uncover by his Holy Spirit areas in our lives where we're not free. Proverbs 4.23 says this, talks about the importance of this of our hearts, the core of who we are, And so wisdom from Scripture says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. One of the things that we find in Scripture is that God tells us, be careful uh, about your heart. Be careful the things that you let into your life. Be careful the influences that will shape you. And and guard guard those, those things that come in so that you're allowing God to do his work, and you're resisting the things that will begin to, to corrupt your heart. I, I've said this before, and I just re- was reminded again how important this is, that what you feed yourself has an effect. The messages that you choose to allow to come into your mind, whether it's through what you're watching or what you're listening to or what you're reading, it has an effect. Guard your heart above all else. And so if you're listening to music, pay attention to the words, because those messages that you allow to come into your life over and over again, that's not guarding your heart. In fact, it's opening yourself up to some things, some, some attitudes and some messages that will begin to affect your heart. And so Scripture says, above all else, guard your heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In other words, who can understand the human heart fully and know its secret motives? And Jeremiah is simply touching on the reality of, at times, what is part of our human nature, and that is that we don't even fully understand, at times, our struggle. And then God begins to speak to us. God begins to reveal things to us. And and like you said, Samantha, all of a sudden, some things start to make sense about what my struggle is, about the roots of why this attitude, I can't seem to get past it, about that moment in my life where I thought it was all said and done. I thought I had, I had just forgotten it, and really what I'd done is I'd buried it. And God begins to bring us to places of health and of wholeness, but sometimes we have blind spots. It's entirely possible that in some areas of our lives, we're unaware of our sinful tendencies. And so if we're not aware that there needs to be change in our lives, then change is very difficult to, uh, to realize, right? If we, if we really don't, if we think there's nothing really in my life that, that needs to come under 
the touch of God, then it's hard for us to allow God to work in areas where we think we don't need his hand to work. Any of you discovered that? That you've tried to give someone advice and there's a blind spot that they have and you've tried very gently and tactfully to speak into that area of their lives and the response is, oh no, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> That's your problem. And, and, and without this, this understanding of areas of our lives that Jesus needs to touch, it's very difficult for us to experience transformation. And so in our text, Jesus encounters a man who was physically blind. He had this need physically where he couldn't see. And before Jesus heals him and restores his sight, he leads him out of uh, Bethsaida. Let's read this in chapter 8 of Mark, beginning at verse 22. They, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, and he led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Don't, don't go back there. I've taken you out of there. You're not to go back. And so Jesus, in verse 23, takes the blind man by his hand, and he leads him outside the village. This was something unusual. This was not Jesus' common pattern. And so there was something about the atmosphere of that community that Jesus realized, I need to get this guy out of Dodge, because Dodge is the problem. There's something that's hindering the work of God in this man's life because of this environment. So what was it? Bethsaida was just this nondescript small community, a fishing village on the shore of a lake. It wasn't very, you know, um, famous or renowned. But there was something about the spiritual climate of that village that was significant. And it, it was a barrier to what Jesus wanted to do. And so Jesus takes that man and says, before I heal you, we're getting out of Dodge. We're getting out of this place. Because it's going to hinder what I want to do in your life. I was reminded of the reality of spiritual climates. That, that somehow, and there's a mystery to this, that, but there are, there are climates spiritually that can be very, very open to the work of God or that can be closed to the work of God. I remember hearing a pastor talk about one time where they went into a city to minister to people to begin to share the gospel. I can't remember what country this was in. But as they began to just talk with people about Jesus, they noticed something. They noticed that on one side of the road, one side of this street, that whenever they began to share Jesus with people, there was a receptivity. People were open. People wanted to hear more. There was a receptiveness to the gospel. And yet, on the other side of the street, part of the team were ministering on the other side of the road, just a very short distance, and they began to notice this pattern where on this side of the road, people were very resistant. And there was, a, there was an immediate resistance. And, and the pastor began to observe, there's something different going on here. And there's something about spiritual climates, there's something about different geographical locations that because of what's happening in that location, because of perhaps the attitudes of the people in that location, it actually affects the spiritual climate of that place. I remember when I was about 10 years old and, and uh, my family decided to take a day trip and we were living in the northern part of Thailand and, and so the Burmese border, I believe it's Myanmar now, it was, it was within a day's drive to get there and back. And so my dad decided, 
we're going to take a family trip, and we're going to go to the Burmese border. And so we did. We drove a certain distance, and then we got on a longboat. Have you ever seen a longboat? It lives up to its name. It's, it has this big car engine on the back, and you just blast down the river. It's not very safe, but it's fun. And so as a 10-year-old boy, I had this memory. So we got on this longboat, and then we kind of had this, like, this tour guide, and we began to just go down the river that went from Thailand into Burma. And we stopped at the border, and just, just across the border, there was like a gift store, and, and you could kind of do the tourist thing. But it was a very quiet day. I think we were the only ones on the boat. And I remember that as we got closer and closer to the border, I, I, I had this growing sense of unease. And it's this memory that still sticks with me today. I don't even think I said anything to my parents. But I felt like there was a growing darkness as we got closer to the border of that country. And, and I could not wait till we got out of there. And, th- and there was something about me that I, I think was just picking up on the fact that, that there was a darkness in that region. There was a spiritual activity. There was a darkness that I was sensing. Even as a young 10-year-old boy, I recognized there's something about this place that feels dark to me. And there are others that are much more discerning than I am. I particularly don't walk in that gift um, strongly. But I remember as a boy, remembering that thought. So what does this mean for us today? I just want to encourage you that let's get this a little bit closer to home. And let's just remind you today that you have the opportunity to have authority over the spiritual climates that you may be part of. In other words, there, you, can, you can affect the spiritual climate. And let's, let's drill right down to where we are in, in today, and that is your home. Do you realize that you have authority to affect the spiritual climate of your home? And there are times when the enemy will come against the household. And a, a, as, as the person, as your home, as, the, as the, you know, the, the person that lives in that home, you have authority. You have authority to affect the spiritual climate of your home. There, there's something in James chapter 4 that begins to speak into this idea. And James 4, verse 6 and 7 says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's a very important principle in the scripture that I believe James is trying to teach to those that were reading, uh, reading scripture, reading that book, and it is this, that as we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus, as we intentionally say, God, I am submitting myself to your lordship, then we come under this umbrella of authority that actually gives us authority in our realms of influence. But it begins with submission. And Scripture says, as we submit to God, then what happens? Then when the enemy comes against us, we have the authority to resist the enemy, and he will flee. But the submission part is so important. Because what this also means, that if there are areas of our lives where we're not submitting to God, if we are walking in rebellion, if we are walking uh, in, in known sinful habits in our lives, if we are walking in some area of our life that is contrary to the word of God, it's very clear, and we've chosen instead to walk our own path instead of submitting to God, what that does is that opens us up to what the enemy wants to do. It creates a place in our lives where, where we go to resist the enemy, and, and we are not under the authority of God in that area of our lives. And the enemy now has an opportunity to harass us in a way that if we were submitted to God in that area, we could resist and he would flee. And so there is this principle that is so important 
know that when we walk in disobedience to God, it actually affects our ability to resist the enemy. It actually res- it, it affects our ability to stand against the enemy. And so I want to encourage us today that this is a reminder that in every area of our lives that we would say, God, I submit to your authority. And boy, are we ever tempted sometimes to go our own way, where we conveniently forget about that part of Scripture that informs God's path, and we decide, well, in this area, I'm just going to do my own thing. And it weakens us. It weakens us in our ability to stand strong and to live for God. And so are there areas of our lives today that are not submitted to the lordship of Jesus? If there is, our ability to resist the enemy is diminished. You are weaker in that area because you haven't submitted to the authority of Jesus. And so, so James reminds us there are spiritual climates. There's, there's, there's the battle uh, that the enemy brings against us, and we need to submit to God in humility. And then we have the authority to resist the enemy. Submitting to God's authority gives you spiritual authority over the enemy. And so Bethsaida had a spiritual climate. There was something about that community that was very unsubmitted to the authority of the Lord. We're going to read in Matthew eleven twenty. It gives us insight into this. This is another part of Scripture, but Jesus is speaking about some communities, including Bethsaida. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, other communities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. It's interesting to note that Bethsaida was one of those communities where Jesus did many of his miracles. So it wasn't that people didn't believe in his ability to do miracles, but there was something about them that was unresponsive when they saw the power of God at work. And it kind of was, it it was a hard-heartedness. And Jesus said that if, if others had experienced the power of God in that way, they would have repented. They would have turned away from their sinfulness and they would have turned to God and say, God, I need, I need you. I, want, I need to follow you. I'm a sinful person. And, and, I, and I realize that and I put my faith in the living God. I turn away from my sinfulness and I turn to God. And yet there was something about the people of Bethsaida that they, they were hard-hearted. And they resisted. They resisted the power of God, even though they saw it with their eyes. Jesus did many miracles there. There was a hard-heartedness in them. There was a resistance to the things of God. How many of you know that when we get hard-hearted, boy, can we ever get entrenched in that place? Whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's bitterness, and we can become so hardened in an area of our lives that, man, there's nothing that's going to move us. Church, we have to be so careful that if God begins to point out an area of our lives where we have become hard-hearted, that we call out to God and say, God, would you soften my heart? I don't want to be resistant to your work in my life. I don't want to be resistant when your spirit begins to speak to me. And so the climate of that town was such that there was a, there was a hard-heartedness that permeated that community. There was a resistance to the lordship of Jesus. And so they were fine with Jesus doing his miracles, but they were not going to submit to his lordship. They were fine with seeing his power at work, 
But when it came to them personally submitting and surrendering to Jesus, there was a resistance there. There, There's no. Uh, God, I'm okay with you doing miracles, but I'm not okay with surrendering my life to you. And this was the condition of that community. They were unmoved by the power of God that was demonstrated right in front of them. They were hard-hearted. And so in order for Jesus to do what he needed to do in that blind man's life, Jesus decided that he needed to take him out of that atmosphere of hard-heartedness. And so he, he takes him by the hand, and he begins to lead him out of Bethsaida. I was just struck by this thought that it took a blind man to show the people of that town what it looked like to be led by Jesus. Because they were unwilling to surrender their lives to Jesus. And in that image of Jesus leading that blind man, they would have seen a visual uh, of, of a man who had decided to surrender to Jesus his life and to allow Jesus to lead him. I don't think we'll ever truly experience freedom and wholeness unless we allow Jesus to lead us, unless we are truly surrendered to his lordship in our lives. I can't help but wonder, you know, what did that conversation look like when Jesus was leading that man away from Bethsaida? Because here's what I know about Jesus. I know that he was interested in more than just that man's physical sight. Would you say that's probably true, knowing Jesus? I would say that his greater interest was what was going on in that man's heart. And I would suspect, we don't know this from Scripture, maybe I'm taking a bit of liberty here, but I would suspect that as he led that man out of Bethsaida, that he was talking to that man. And that perhaps there were areas of that man's heart that had become hardened, that Jesus was beginning to speak into, because he had a captive audience, right? I, I need a volunteer. I need a, I need a man or, or, yeah, a man. Can you, can you just come up for a minute, just to the front? Not Andy, because you're so quick to volunteer. We're going to let someone else do it today. Chris, okay. I know you were willing. Chris, come on up. And uh, Tracy is going to blindfold you. Uh, Thank you, Chris, for volunteering. Now, who has the bucket of water? Who did I give that to? Oh, just kidding. So we're just going to have a quick visual here uh, of what was going on in in this story. So we have a man that's blind. He needs to get out of Dodge. He needs to get out of this place where there's an atmosphere of hard-heartedness, a resistance to the work of God. So Jesus comes, and he simply takes that man. I'm going to take your hand here. Takes him by the hand, and he just begins to lead him. So, so Chris, what is it that, what do you need in order to follow me as a blind man? Faith. Faith? I was thinking the word trust. So, <laughs> pretty, pretty close. Good answer. So Jesus is leading this, this man uh, out of Bethsaida, and he has a captive audience, right? When, when you can't see and someone is leading you, your, your ears are, are pretty attuned, right? You're just trusting that person to lead you. You can't see where you're going. You're trusting that they're leading you to a good place, that their heart for you is good, that they, you know, they're not um, going to lead you to a place of harm. But I would suspect that as Jesus was walking with this blind man, that he was asking him some questions. And perhaps maybe he was having some insight into this man's heart. So maybe as they were walking, he was saying, and we'll we'll modernize this this a bit. He was saying, you know, Chris, I noticed the other day that when that person cut you off in the 417, you got really angry with them. What do you think is going on in your heart? Why were you so angry in that moment? Or, 
Now, Chris, I noticed that you really, um, you seek the approval. So this isn't, this isn't really Chris, but you seek the approval of people, and, and there's, a, there's something in you that you'll, you'll do almost whatever it takes to seek the approval of people. What do you think is at the root of that? What's going on in your heart? Or I've heard, Chris, that you and this, and this other man in your community ha- have had a bitter dispute and that you have been unwilling to forgive that man. And, and I just want to speak into that place of your life today. What's going on in your heart? And I wonder if, if that wasn't the type of conversation that Jesus was having. Because Jesus always starts with our hearts, right? He, he's interested in our physical needs as well. But I know that Jesus was more interested in what was going on in that man's heart before he healed him physically. He was leading him out of this place of hard-heartedness. And I believe he was speaking into the heart of that man. Thank you, Chris. You can take that off now. Let's give him a hand. Thanks, man. And so Jesus is, is taking this man out of, out of a place of hard-heartedness. Is it possible that we are blind in areas of our lives because our hearts have become hardened, not physically blind? Is that possible, even as Christians? Well, yes, it is. Is it possible that there are areas of our lives that we have not surrendered to Jesus? And in doing so, we've opened ourselves to a vulnerability to the enemy, and the enemy is is finding a stronghold in our hearts and in our lives. And it's not healthy. We're not walking in freedom. You know, sometimes we don't understand why Jesus is leading us where he is leading us. We don't understand, perhaps, the circumstances that, that he allows in our lives. But I just believe this, that he will, he will always lead us to places of freedom inwardly. He will always lead us to places of healing inwardly. And maybe today we need to just come to this place of recognizing, God, maybe there are some blind spots in my life, and I need you to, first of all, help me to be aware of what they are. And then the second thing that Jesus does, he starts with our hearts, is then he brings healing. All right, so he leads this man outside of Bethsaida, and then, and then he, he heals that man. He gives him his physical sight. He touches his, his eyes. And I believe that when God begins to reveal blind spots in our lives, our our response is simply to acknowledge our need of his work in that area. And then he begins to help us not only to see our need more clearly, but also perhaps to see differently as we begin to experience healing in our lives. Mark Buchanan talks about transformation, and he says, Transformation is the fruit of a changed outlook. I can't help but think, Samantha, of your testimony that as God has done something in your life, not only has it changed your outlook, but there's a, there's a, a spillover into your, your marriage and that your husband is experiencing something as well because of what God has done in your life. Transformation is the fruit of a changed outlook. First, our minds are renewed, and then we are transformed, and then everything is different even if it stays the same, even if our circumstance doesn't look different we can be different in the midst of that circumstance, and everything can look different. We can begin to have a renewed outlook on life, even if perhaps some of the difficulties don't go away. We are different. We are changed. We begin to see more clearly, and we begin to see differently. 
You know, physical sight will definitely change our lives, but not as much as a change of mind or a change of heart will, will transform us. And so the second thing that Jesus did in this man's life was to bring healing. And then the third thing he said is, he said, you know, don't go back to the village. He called him to walk in a new path because he knew that he, he wasn't to go back to that place of hardened hearts. And perhaps there was some hardness in his heart that had been softened. And Jesus basically calls him and says, okay, there's been, there's been a healing in your life. Now walk in that healing. Don't go back to the old patterns of life that you may default to. And sometimes we need to wrestle. There's a battle to walk in our continued freedom because the enemy will come against freedom. He will try to bring us back to that place uh, where we're not free. And there, there is inevitably a battle when God does something in our lives. We need to contend to continue to walk in freedom in that area. And so Jesus says that to him. Listen, don't go back there. Walk in a new path. Walk in freedom. You can now live differently. And so walk out your freedom. Don't go back to your old ways. This morning, I, I just feel as though our response is simply that we would say, God, I'm willing to allow you to reveal some blind spots that are in my life. God, I'm willing for you to do that. Because we all have them. We all have areas that we don't realize we need God's touch. Perhaps there are habits, perhaps there are relational cycles that continue over and over and over again, and you always thought it was about the other person, and and perhaps there's part of it where you need wholeness. Perhaps we contribute in ways that we don't realize until God begins to speak to us. And it begins to change our hearts and change our outlook. I'm going to ask that we'd stand this morning, and I know our time is gone, and we want to pray just before we go. But I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life to eliminate blind spots. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life to bring you to places of freedom. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life to begin to cause you to to walk in truth. And this morning, perhaps the Holy Spirit has just begun to speak to you so clearly. And there's there's something in your life that he's just beginning to say, you need freedom in this area. And I want to touch this area of your life. Would you allow me to lead you? Would you trust me? Would you open your heart to me? And just before we go, we're just going to pray. We're going to open our hearts to the Lord and say, God, would you do your work in us today? So would you do that? Would you allow God to just soften your heart if there's places where you've been unwilling to make the difficult choice of following his truth in that area? To make the difficult choice of just being obedient to him and trusting that in honoring him, that the, the best path for your life can be realized. It's so tempting to compromise. And we all know the temptation to do that. And I'm just going to pray for us today. Would you bow with me as we pray? So Jesus, I thank you that you are still in the transformation business, that you still lead us out of places of hard-heartedness, that as you walk with us, as we trust you to lead us, that you speak to our hearts, that you speak life to us, that you reveal areas of our lives where we are walking in rebellion or disobedience. And you simply call us to follow your path, God, because there's, that's where wholeness is. 
That's where your goodness can flow in our lives. And I pray that you'd forgive us for areas in our hearts that have been unsubmitted to you, where we have not been able to resist the enemy because we're not submitted to you in that area. Oh God, would you give us the courage to submit to you, to trust you, so that we can stand strong, so that the enemy does not blow us and toss us to and fro, but we stand strong in the power of your spirit because we are submitted to you in that area of our lives. Oh, we just pray, Spirit of God, you'd speak to our hearts this morning. I'm so thankful that you you care for us, Lord. And Spirit of God, that you're the Spirit of truth, wisdom, revelation. So as we go from this place today, I pray you continue to speak to us. Continue to do your work in us. May we walk in greater places of freedom. May your church be strong because we've learned what it is to submit to you. And then we know what it is to stand in our authority and to resist the enemy and to walk in freedom. Teach us, Lord. Make your church strong, we pray. And we ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you as you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Please come for prayer if you'd like prayer. And we're just going to make this place um, a place of response.